Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome to Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is one of your hosts, Brett. And hey, this is Matt. Matt and Brett Love Comics is normally the show where we take comics and talk comics with comics, but today it's Brett and I in one of our chat episodes, and we're going to be talking something else a little near and dear to our hearts, which is uh, comics and comedy. Hot button issues. Also, um, HPI. Gonna... HPV? No, no, no. no. Well, no. <laughs> Papilloma is a really fun word, though. It is. That sounds like uh, <laughs> that sounds like a word rife for a Weird Al Yankovic parody, right? Papilloma. Yeah. Uh, like to uh, my Sharona. Pa- ma- Papilloma. <laughs> this is the kind of comedy we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, guys. Uh, so we do comedy, and this is the type of uh, gold that we pan for in that realm. Uh, we'll also be getting in, um, last talk episode, uh, we solicited some responses to The Dark Knight Rises, asking, what's the deal with the hate? Yeah, yeah, and we will be, uh, we'll be discussing a couple of those reactions in a new segment that we are going to be calling Letters Column. Yeah, uh, unless you guys want to submit other pun-filled names, which if you remember, when new series would launch in the 90s, or probably even the 80s, they would ask... Uh, readers to mail in, you know, names for the letters column. I remember that. Yeah. Dude, oh, like, let's do this. Oh my god. Like, okay. So here's uncanny what we're X mail. I love it. Exclamations. Yep. Um. Uh. Uh. Oh, I just like blanked on. Oh, uh, Hulk was uh, was gray matters when it yeah. was uh, when he was gray. I think. And, oh, yeah. Was X Factor examinations? Mm-hmm. I only remember all the X Men ones. Yep. Uncanny X Mail was the X Men one. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. We're... Daredevil's if... Letters Without Fear. No, <laughs> that sounds. Wait, was that not real? That sounds real. That sounds like the quality they strive for with those punny names. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Um. So yeah, if anyone, we're gonna stick with the letters column. But if anyone wants to tweet at us some punny and and okay, and Matt and Brett love letters is easy. Yeah, that's it's too easy. easy. Uh, that is off the table. Send us uh, send us your suggestions. We will. Here's what we'll do. We will uh, occasionally rename the segment with yeah. your name, and if we use your name, we will give you a ten dollar Comicsology gift card. Oof! Hey, wow. There's some there's some there's some bones throw down. Yeah. Some incentive. Uh, oh, I had a thought, and then it went away. That's usually what happens with my thoughts. <laughs> it happens. So yeah, so we'll get into that later on. Um, but first, yeah, I mean, let's jump into this thing that's probably going to reduce me to a pile of uh, screaming brain matter. Because, okay. yeah. <laughs> because when you have a thing in your head and it's hard to put it into words, especially when your job is putting things in your head to words, mm-hmm. it gets frustrating. Okay, so let's let's talk about the genesis of what today's show is going to be. Brett, as most of you know, also writes a weekly column for comic book resources called In Your Face Jam. Yeah. And uh, and most recently, you had written a column about how uh, there are there are comedy books out there, but there aren't really comedy books that are structured in the way that uh, that a classic sitcom is structured. Yeah, and this is uh, this is the benefit of talking about this with you because we speak the same language in this area. It's like I I tried to resist, and you might be able to prove me wrong on this. I tried to resist using the word sitcom in my 
uh, article because I feel like sitcom has bad connotations to people that are not in... Okay, like, two... They have the wrong connotation to people that know nothing. Like, you say sitcom to your parents and they think... Uh, they think ever um, like two and a half men. Right. That is their default. Uh, you say and and they think that's cool, but you but sick, two and a half men is a horrible show. So you're like, no, parents. I, when I say sitcom, I don't mean two and a half men. No. Uh, and then when you say it to people that are intelligent, like that you that are of your peer group that you like, but they're not in comedy. I feel like you say sitcom and they think two and a half men and automatically assume all sitcoms are horrible. And why do you want to waste your time with that trash? Go watch Breaking Bad or True Detectives. <laughs> um, but then in our community, when you say sitcom, we all think like 30 Rock, Parks and Recreation, Community. Like when we, we actually see the artistic merit in that art form. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, that's probably like a weird bias. <laughs> That I have, and I'm probably uh, irritating and alienating a lot of our listeners. I don't know. So I tried to avoid using the word sitcom just because I didn't want to also have to unpack the different connotations people have with that word. Because I feel like it could be a loaded term and that I would be shooting myself in the foot by saying, I want there to be more sitcom comics. And people would immediately take that as, why does he want like two and a half men, like horrible, jokey, not funny comics? And then stop reading and then burn down their computers. (laughs) Oh man, you really, uh, you really thought this nightmare scenario out, didn't you? Yeah, that's this is this is how my brain works, and I can't make it stop. Uh, all right, so let's so let's talk this, about this. Um, this is only one of the clovers, one of the clo- like leaves on the clover. Yeah, because there are still other huge things. Like we have, we're going to get into game at some point. So oh yeah. Anyway, well, let's start. Let's start with. Let's start by dis- by saying that I think that you got some backlash about the column, and a lot of that backlash sort of, and, and it had come from people within the industry uh, pointing out books that are funny but aren't necessarily considered, uh, that, that aren't falling into the category of what you're specifically discussing. Yeah, it's one of those, like, maybe I was complaining because there wasn't this very, very, very specific niche thing. But then again... Movies and television shows are very densely populated with uh, stories being told in a joke-heavy, joke-priority manner. Yeah. Like, um, and there are very, like, the genesis of it was, like, the Image Expo. And they announced, like, 15 new books that all look amazing, which is not the point I'm making. I'm not saying that, like, comedy books are the only good ones. But it was a little bit weird when I was, like... When I realized that, I don't know, like, given no rules, I myself would probably write a comedy, like a sitcom, like straight up joke heavy, joke dense book. Um, And then when given no rules, a lot of other professional comic book writers just naturally gravitate towards other genres, which is, of course, I love that. I, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just, uh, it was just interesting to note that, like, of the 15 new books of these, fi- of this random sampling of like 15-ish professional comic book writers, none of them went to comedy. Right. Uh, which is I, weird. I feel like if you just took a random sampling of seven TV shows or seven movies, a couple of them would be comedies, just because of the how many there are. And not even saying they'd be good or they'd be bad, but there would be things that were written with the explicit purpose to make people laugh at a very regular 
regular cliff. Yeah, and I think that there is one of the keys to this discussion, too. You weren't saying even the examples that were given to you weren't funny. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the examples that you were given were books that were incidentally funny or were happened to be well-written and funny, but the focus wasn't comedy. Yeah. Whereas something like Cheers, the idea is that this is a comedy. This show is a comedy first. Yeah. And there are amazing relationships within the show, uh, but the, but it's a comedy first. But if you, yeah, like if you take the jokes out of that show, it's just people in a bar uh, not being funny, which I don't know, like isn't as interesting. Whereas That's just a bar. Take... I work at a bar. Yeah. That's just a bar. Which, like, Young Avengers makes me, like, Young Avengers would get at least one laugh out loud moment from me every issue because that book is amazing and yeah. really funny, but it's like one or two laughs an issue. Yeah. Which is not a knock on it. Because that's not the point of Young Avengers. Right. But like, if you take those one or two laughs out of Young Avengers, it's still an amazing superhero story. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of books and there are a lot of writers that are really funny. Like Wolverine and the X-Men, there's some really funny stuff that happens in there. But that book is not primarily uh, a sitcomic yeah, I, and see now I actually I didn't ever even remember Wolverine of the X Men, but Wolverine of the X Men actually kind of hits the tone that I'm looking for in a way. Right. Just because Jason Aaron, like there, some issues of that like there are insane jokes on every page. Yeah. So man, now I wish I had remembered that. Um, I think, but it, also he left the book and it has a different writer. So I was talking about comedy comics published right now, and so therefore loophole. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's no. okay. It's okay. Yeah, um, and and I think too a, a good example of what you're talking about as a like the term that I will use uh sitcomic would be the issue of FF by Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. Featuring Human Torch and Spider-Man as roommates. Yep. Yeah, that was really yeah, that was a solid book. And also um Jonathan Hickman is not a funny writer normally. You know, like, he's kind of the opposite of that. But he yeah. has that in his wheelhouse. And when he decided to do that, it was magical. Yeah. And it gave... And, and this is also, I guess, because comedy is the primary form of storytelling that I intake. Is, like, when that happens in the comics I'm just, like, already reading, it is it hits a lot more buttons in me. Right. Uh, like, the, the current Quantum and Woody series is the one that I really shouted out. Because I think Asmus is, like, doing that. Like, those... It's almost hitting a 30 rock pace of density because there would be some like pages that have a joke in every word balloon because it's so densely written and so well paced and so ludicrously fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was one of the ones I really shouted out and superior foes, uh, which I still think is uh, like it's always sunny in the Marvel universe. <laughs> oh, it's a hundred. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. That. Uh, so those. So now. See, now, I think that's a book that is a sitcom because it's very much comedy first uh, and and is presented that way. Yeah. With so, action which peppered was in. A sneak, sneak attack because you read the title Superior Foes. Like, it doesn't seem like it would be a comedy book. Yeah. It, and honestly, it seemed like a book I had zero interest in and was not going to read because I was like, I don't want to read like a another run of the mill 
superhero comic book about bad guys. Right. I, I just didn't have any interest in that. And then when I fanboy made a pick of the week and said that it was hilarious, I was like, oh, well, I have to read. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll definitely read that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was my favorite. That was my favorite book, I think, of last year. It, yeah. it was just like it, it is. It's laugh out loud funny to me. And you know what? Why don't we say this, too? Uh, and, and let me ask you this question. Why is comedy important to you? Uh, because why, because yeah, why would you why would you why why wouldn't it be <laughs> like it's such a <laughs> it's such a thing like why wouldn't it be I don't know. I mean, what it, draws what draws you what draws you to comedy as a writer and as a reader uh, and as someone who consumes pop culture in general like what what draws you again and again back to comedy? It. I think it's more, um, I can't explain why comedy because comedy feels so right. It's more like I can explain why things like horror, which I mean, okay, this is, oh, I, I get really, um, I don't know. It's like a lot of other genres can depress me. Like, and comedy tends to be the one genre that doesn't ever, manipulate my emotions in a way that makes me feel bad like i like hunger games i watched the hunger games movie i'm not saying hunger games is a bad thing and i'm not saying it like sure but but like i I get so hung up on like why is the world like this why did society agree to have to volunteer someone to go into a death game and it just like depresses me and makes me feel so sad yeah and i think that i don't think that's the intent at all because i think a lot of people could just get past that and see it for like a very socially conscious you know fun uh well-written well-constructed aware action thing Mm -hmm. whereas i get like no like it just bums me out like this like battle royale like people that love like like the walking dead i had to sever all ties because i was getting no joy from that yeah that's a very uh, emotionally draining series yeah um and i love things like mad men and breaking bad Mm -hmm. so like so there are still but comedy comedy doesn't do that to me like it doesn't hurt me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in those ways and it's just something that i've always got like i just get a feeling from it that is a thing that i keep watching because i want more like when i discovered it's always sunny halfway through last year for the first time because i decided to watch it all on netflix yeah and when you like there's just something super rewarding about watching a sitcom in its prime uh like back to back like that where it just feels like there's such a momentum and it's super fun and it it's surprising so i don't know that's it's also fun to quote i mean wayne's world right oh yeah <laughs> i mean why do you do it what's what in what way are you broken that makes this a priority i just talked about how i'm broken that's a great that's that's probably the best way to phrase that question oh god you know and i've i've thought about that too and and saying like it feels right like it does I don't know. It, it feels like the one thing I was always um, able to do is make people laugh. I felt like uh, I felt like I was pretty good at a bunch of stuff, but that was one thing that really made me feel like, and it was fun. It was something that I enjoyed doing. Was creating, not just making people laugh, but yeah. creating and crafting 
a piece of art. God, I'm, I'm going to sound so pretentious here, but no, eating it's... and crafting a piece of art uh, that that evokes a positive, a positive and visceral reaction from someone. Like I, like when I'll, I'll coach improv groups or like give notes on a on a sketch or something like that, and. I like to, I think that there are two different types of laughs. I think there's a surface laugh and then uh, a gut laugh. Yeah. I think a surface laugh is something that's, uh, that's like a pop culture reference. Like you, you mentioned something and it's something that someone immediately gets and laughs at, but they forget about it. Yeah. And then there's a gut laugh that is something that connects to some type of human experience that is like so universal or connects with someone like it's such a deep way that they're laughing before they realize they're laughing like it escapes their body so hard that they don't even know that they're doing it yet yeah and that's a gut laugh and when you find a way to tap into that and like connect with someone in that way it's i don't know for me it's a really thrilling experience and i think that's what it is it's it's a way that I've realized that I can communicate with other people. Yeah, and I remember, like this, like for me, the definitive comedy comic is always going to be Peter David and Larry Stroman's X Factor because that was those one of the first comics I ever read. Yeah, was I think X Factor seventy one because I got it in one of those big multi packs in the early nineties um, when I first got into comics uh, around the around ninety three ninety two ninety three. And I remember reading X Factor seventy one and especially X Factor seventy four, like I, and uh, which is the issue where um that's where uh, the slab premiere right slab comes and he and Guido strong guy fight and destroy the Washington Monument and I just remember like one line when Havoc says to himself like oh Val's gonna flip over this or something and. I don't know, that made me laugh as, like, an eight-year-old. Yeah. Like, seeing superheroes being so worried about, like, getting in trouble with their, like, analogous mother. Um, it, and I I recorded a one-kid audio drama. I had a tape recorder. And I recorded X Factor 74 and acted out all the parts and did sound effects with my mouth. <laughs> Amazing. Um, because, like, I just responded to it so well. And I... I, and I wonder if this is it's like I feel like it's a comedy nerd distinction where books like X Factor and even like I mean we'll get into the sex criminals thing at some point or maybe even now like those books to me like a book like sex criminals doesn't read funny to me because that is just good writing because in my opinion from my le- comedy leanings good writing is naturally humorous like good like well-written well-rounded out characters and well-written character interactions that i relate with are funny at least some of the time and i think that's because my interactions day to day with my peers is humorous which comes out of hanging out in comedy circles all the time yeah that's true so i can't imagine like you know people i went to high school with um, that haven't taken the possibly stupid choice of moving to a big expensive city with no real job and <laughs> and doing comedy that doesn't pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not acting like I made the better decision here, but I can't imagine like what it's like amongst groups of friends where no one is making jokes or no one is being funny. Like it's such a foreign concept to me. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's the thing too. Is is it's always our go to, to, you know, to to try and help our friends alleviate whatever they're going through as well, and yeah, making them laugh. Laughter is like a good way to help people out of whatever funk that they're in. Yeah, you know. It's like, I don't respond, like, I like Jonathan Hickman, but I don't really respond to a lot of his writing in the superhero realm because it's so plot and science based or, um, yeah, like story based dialogue where the dialogue isn't that snappy. It it can be naturalistic, but he's obviously putting his great, huge, grand sci-fi ideas first and foremost. Well, I mean, and that's that's the thing about that I've noticed, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, about you as a writer as well, and the things that you connect to is you're very much a, a character person. Like, you yeah. like you like like good, solid character relationships, and not to say that there aren't there, they aren't there in Jonathan Hickman's work. Because we just praised him for that roommate issue, which was amazing, yeah. so it's not, yeah. But his, the, the, where he's found I think the most success while he's been at Marvel, at least, are these like higher concept, plot-heavy yeah. stories. Because if you look at his early Fantastic Four work as well, like there's some really good character work in there. But yeah. a lot of the Avengers stuff is very much like like they they're they're very dense and uh, very high concept, and that seems to be what what the initiative is there for those books more than anything. Yeah. And I relate, like, in Hawkeye, I relate to, like, Hawkeye, I think, is hilarious, but I also don't really consider it a comedy, because Hawkeye, whereas Hickman, I don't relate to those characters, I relate to how everyone talks in Hawkeye. Like, those characters interact and sound like the way that I interact with my friends on a regular basis, including Clinton Barton's crippling self-deprecation. Yeah. (laughs) Like. Yeah, yeah, like, like, Hawkeye seems to be less a comedy and more just an honest book. Yeah, which is, if we want to jump into it, that's what I think Sex Criminals is. Whereas that was the number one book that people kept tweeting at me, like, Sex Criminals is a comedy. Sex Criminals is, is a comedy. And my response is like, it is funny. It, But it, to me, it is an honest book. Yeah, and that's that what is Fraction how I does. think people interact. Yeah. yeah, Fraction does honest books really well. He's a guy that gets, he's a guy that does get that sort of, uh, you know, character stuff. And he's he's a funny guy like i've seen him oh, yeah. i've seen him in in person like at like comic book club years ago and stuff and he's almost always the funniest person in the room uh yeah. as a person but also his writing is very honest and very uh that that comes across there but it doesn't always seem to be the main thrust maybe we're splitting hairs i don't know no i mean that's the whole point of it and that that's kind of the point of my of my article that i didn't articulate because like comedy and comedy are the same word but they can mean different things yeah like there are comedy books because you know sex criminals is a comedy book i mean they build it as a comedy book i had the press release to sex criminals where it's called a romantic or a sex comedy thrown in my face a bunch like oh yeah linked at me like and i'm like i'm not saying uh, I'm not saying that because I don't find it to be my specific. Uh, this this specific type of comedy doesn't mean it is not another type of comedy. Yeah. The problem is that the one word comedy describes a bunch of different things. Uh, and to me, the difference is, and I think this is the best way maybe to articulate it, is the difference between Freaks and Geeks and 30 Rock. 
where I think sex criminals is freaks and geeks. Like it's honest creator, it's, it's honest human relationships that are often humorous and can often make you laugh out loud. Yeah. Um, but you wouldn't look at both freaks and geeks and 30 rock and say they're the same type of comedy at all. Right. <laughs> and I was wondering why there isn't more 30 rock. And I specifically say 30 rock because 30 rock had the most jokes per minute of any show I've ever seen. Like arrest development might be the only like competition. And I don't even think you can point out that many comics that are of the tone and style of Arrested Development that are published at the main three. I don't know. I could be crazy. But that's specifically what I was saying. But everyone got hung up on uh, comedy in its broader sense. Yeah. So that's that's another thing. I think that's a pretty good transition where we're we mentioned this briefly before. But as comedy writers and as comedians, I mean, there are certain structural elements that I think. Um, to give benefit of the doubt to everyone that, that were uh, sending you those suggestions, we kind of see structural elements oh, a little differently. 100%, yeah. It's it's almost like when I started taking um, TV classes in college, because I was a TV production major, and I could not watch local news the same way again. Right. Because I'd be like, there's too much headspace. What was up with that shot? It lingered too long. Like, Yeah, you start to see, at a certain point, I think when you get good at anything or you do anything enough, you ruin it for yourself as a passive consumer because you just start to see the scenes. Like, like you start to look at it. Anymore. Yeah. I can't watch like I can't watch improv anymore because I've done it for I've done it so much and coached it, you know, so much that I can't not start giving notes in my head about like, you know, you need to be grounded. You need to react harder. You need to stick to that. No, that was your funny thing. You don't have to keep looking for a new funny thing. Like you all, you all said, "Got your back" before you walked on stage, and then you spent fifteen minutes arguing with each other. Yeah. See, <laughs> uh, I mean, even watching SNL uh, this week with that um, that 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 newlywed sketch, the Jonah Hill episode. For right. People that are listening twenty years in the future, the Jonah Hill Bastille episode. Um, couples quiz. Couples like and it. it the unusual thing wasn't the fact that Jonah Hill pooped and clogged up a toilet. The unusual thing was that Keenan, as a game show host live on air, was bringing it up and talking to everyone about it. And the sketch felt really disjointed because it wasn't playing to the truth of what would really happen. And therefore, it was cutting itself off from any real interactive comedy. Like, yeah. it would have been much better to have all four contestants being like, what is happening? Can we just play this game? Yeah. And having him be fixated on the fact that someone pooped on top of a clogged toilet. Yeah, yeah. The, so a, th- a theory that sort of comes up a lot in improv and comedy is the idea of the unusual thing. Yeah. And what is the unusual thing in this scene? Because that's usually the the tent pole around which the rest of the piece will be wound. And the unusual thing for me in that sketch wasn't that a guy pooped on top of the clog in a toilet. The unusual thing is that the host won't let it go because that's not what happens on a game show. Ever. And so if – and that sketch I didn't really think connected with the audience because the audience – if you don't – if you go that surreal and disconnected from reality, it's hard to – the audience is asking more questions than – they're getting laughs like they're asking what is up with this show like it's not resembling a thing that they know that they can relate to in real life yeah i don't know but it's also like a sketch about a poop (laughs) 
<laughs> and yep. we're trained to really, really dissect it. Well, no, it's true, though. I mean, but regardless of whether or not it was a poop, I think that <laughs> what happens there... That better not be our title. That better not be the title of this episode. Ben, don't do it. Don't you do that, Ben. <laughs> um, but what happens there, you're right, though. Regardless of whether whatever the the unusual thing there, or the poop, the poop, again, wasn't the unusual thing. People shit in toilets all the time. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes people clog them. It happens. And you know what? It's not unusual for people to walk <laughs> away from that clog. In fact, it's more... It's We've all done it, guys. Yeah. Uh... I Again, I work at a bar. I can't tell you how many times people have come in and crapped in the toilet and clogged it and not told anyone and walked away. I get yeah. it. I get that it's embarrassing. It happens. It's not unusual. What's unusual is when you're watching a TV show... And the get the host is like, hey, we're about to do this thing, but I can't let it go that you guys did this. Like, then you launch into, like, if that's true. And here's another concept yeah. that we talk about a lot in comedy is once you find that thing, if that is true, then yeah. what else is true? Keenan, Keenan's the host should have, they should have started playing the game. And one of the questions should be like. If your partner clogged a toilet, like they should have, like he should have started working in, yeah. trying to find out who pooped in the toilet, uh, into playing the actual game. Yeah, yeah, and and oh, that's what man. happens is once you find that unusual thing and you start to play with it, and now, now we spent five minutes, uh, giving notes to a sketch on television on a show about comic books. <laughs> yeah, but but this is the point. Like this is like I. That I don't know. It's also kind of saying that I'm sorry. Like when I write that article, this is the brain set that I'm coming from. <laughs> is is this? Uh, and that's what I'm looking for. Is I'm looking for. Right. I, was, I, I, sh- I mean, I should have just bit the bullet and said sitcoms. Why aren't there sitcoms in comic book form published at the main three? Because another weird critique I got is like, why would you write <laughs> about comedy comics and not mention like web comics and stuff? Which I did mention web comics at the end when I said. In my article, there are so many web comics that are predominantly comedy. It's weird that that format doesn't trickle up to Marvel, DC, and Image. Agreed. And to which someone then said, "That's like asking why there aren't comedy books at the main publishers." Is like asking why there aren't romance programs on ESPN, which is a metaphor that does not map. Yeah, that doesn't at all. That doesn't really hold water for me for a couple of reasons. One. Because um, ESPN does branch out into different programming. They've had they've had dramas on before. They do documentaries. They also they do comedies. Comedy pieces. Yeah, uh, because y- you have to look at Marvel. We're discussing Marvel and DC and Image yeah, it, like yeah. production studios, in a sense. In this case, you know, and the production studios do release a wide range of entertainment from comedy to drama because. Again, you need to diversify your output so that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. And that's – so anyways, yeah. Basically, getting back to the point of comedy-driven books, you look at something like – I don't know, like, like, like Sex Criminals. That is good, and it's really funny – but a, a lot of the stuff, I think that actually that book will hew closer to what we're discussing. The if that is true, then what else is true? Yeah. Uh, concept. But, you know, a lot of uh, other books, they are they're 
character and like something funny comes up something funny continues to come up things pop up but the thrust isn't oh man and i i i appall- i feel like i'm confusing listeners cuz i'm trying well, not to you... get too technical yeah. so i don't sound like a dick but well if you take almost 100 episodes elements... in i yeah. sound like a dick every week but <laughs> uh I'm saying if you take the comedy elements out of Sex Criminals, it's still a fascinating concept and world. Yeah. That you want to read. Yeah. And, okay, so we're talking a lot about what we're not seeing out there. What, what to you, Brett, is the type of thing that you'd want to see? I mean, I, I mean I'm writing it. I mean, that sounds like a super douchey, <laughs> douchey answer. I mean, I just, I love sitcoms, and I think it'd be really cool to take that sitcom style of writing and apply it to comic books. Right, so... And I, and, and there's all, I mean, there's also the, the sad thing of, like, they also don't sell. Like, Superior Foes and Quantum and Woody, like, aren't chart blockbusters. Right. Um, and I think there's a wider discussion of the fact that uh, comics you know, are Marvel doesn't do this anymore, but DC is still guilty of grim and gritty equals good. Yeah. And there's no room for a sitcom in a publisher or a universe that is defined by being relentlessly grim and gritty. Oh man. I I gotta tell you, I don't think a single person in the DC universe has smiled since the new 52. (laughs) I've heard that Harley Quinn is funny. Um, really the new the new book i had a couple people tweeted that at me um and i also think uh i fanboy reviewed the number zero issue like really they said it was really funny and harley quinn of course is a character that lends herself to that sure um so i mean i i I need to check out harley quinn but that's the only dc book that i had tossed my way (laughs) yeah i think unless like batman 66 which is digital first which is amazing (laughs) uh but wouldn't it be great if a book like Batman 66 like was released physically and was also the number one book? But that can never happen. Yeah. Like, it, it, there's there's a weird... I don't know. Well, it's... The the medium wasn't... I mean, the, the medium tends to favor an action above everything else. I mean, that's just where the money is. And, yeah, it's kind of frustrating... I Which guess. is fine. Like, I mean, like, it's like, I like action. I'm not saying that I'm sort of like some sort of weird pariah. Like, yo, you people, you and your action books. Like, I love them. Yeah. Uh, and I read them. I read a lot of them. And we talk about them all the time here. Yeah. <laughs> and I just decided to talk about this uh, other thing. Like, the he- I, like the heat keeps coming up in my head. Like, uh-huh. the heat was a huge movie last year. Yeah. And it was also a great cop action movie. Yep. And it was also... A comedy, first and foremost, that was hilarious. Yeah. Like, that was super funny. And uh, I think, I mean, I think that, like, books like Quantum and Woody and Superior Foes and, like, those books that do action but also do comedy are in that, are in that level. Yeah. And there are, there's, there's some really fun stuff. Like, the Adventure Time books are pretty great. Like, Ryan North writing that stuff is, is pretty awesome. I feel like Adventure, like... And those are doing well because Adventure Time does well. Yeah, I assume I don't have sales figures in front of me. Yeah, and those—I mean, those are really fun. What's amazing about that show is that 
it feels like th- I feel like it even tra- like that book and that like franchise seems to even transcend the idea of comedy. It just has this sort of fantastical it has this fantastical logic to it all the time that I can't I'm having a hard time even trying to describe it now. Yeah, and that's what I mean to go not to go back to the SNL sketch, but to go back to the SNL sketch. That all sketch would have also worked if the host and the other three contestants that worked Jonah Hill were all even more on the same page. Because like they were all like urging Jonah Hill, like all the other contestants who should have been the straight man of the scene were all urging him to confess. But if they had also been like, No, this is what happens on every episode of this show, haven't you been watching it? Yeah. Like, yeah. what do you, like, if they had gotten more and more committed to the universe? Like, that's why things like Adventure Time, I think, still work, is because it seems like non sequiturs, but I there's a logic to the insanity, maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely, like, it, it has its own logic. So, oh, boy. that is why I'm, that's why I wrote that. <laughs> Yeah, if that, if that cleared anything up, but I don't know if it did. Well, I, I mean, going back to, I, I think you were like worried about like the two and a half men connotation. Um, but see, here's the thing about something like the the difference between what you're sort of saying is like what makes a good comedy for you and and not is the single camera stuff. I think has more in common with a comic book than to than a a, a multi camera sitcom. Because yeah. the multi-camera sitcom, most of the time, those are shot almost like a play, like a televised play, with an audience there. So the joke density is far lighter because you have to allow for uh, a, yeah. a reaction in the moment, and you only have 22 minutes to tell your story. Oh, but you can do it. Oh, and it's so good when it happens. Oh, yeah, you I'll... can definitely do it. Like, again, I'll... look yeah. at Cheers. God, we could even get and do a whole episode, like... The multi-camera sitcom is so dead right now, and it's I don't I don't such a great format, and I don't understand why it is so hard. Yeah, whatever. It's it 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 annoys things annoy me. But then you look at <laughs> yeah, you look at like the single camera stuff, and there's a lot. The joke density is a lot heavier because you don't have to stop for reactions. It's like it, it's like finally understanding. Like the the multi-camera sitcom is is a novel concept, but it was created in an era where that that where live performance was still the dominating yeah. way that people consumed a story in that way. And that's not we're we live in an age now where we've where we accept passive like passive consumption of media, where we're sitting at home and we watch it and there's a disconnect. So the jokes get denser because we don't have to worry about people not knowing that like you can stop and rewind it. Like you can rewind it and and catch a joke that you didn't yeah. catch before. And comics have that same I think that's the common thread there is it's more passive because you're not engaging with it as a lo- as a larger audience and you don't have to stop for laughter even though you only have a set amount of time. You can pack it with as much joke density as you want because you can continue to revisit it over and over yeah. again. You can flip the page back. <sighs> so I'm I'm not a curmudgeon, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, no, no, I don't think so. And and I think it's because 
you care about these two things as passionately as you do that yeah. you want and you weren't I think a lot of people too seem to take umbrage with your argument like you were insulting the books that exist and you weren't yeah which is an easy thing to happen when you can't really convey tone or when you're like me and can't figure out words to match the things <laughs> that you sure. say uh but anyway um do we want to move on to your your Andy Rooney mo- moments? Ah, well, I don't know that it's an Andy Rooney moment. Uh, I'm very uh, excited. Ben, that that can be the title. Andy Rooney Andy Rooney moment can be the title if you want it to. Be. Andy That's, Rooney moment. It, it, uh, if you want it to be, I don't know if you've listened this far. If we've already turned you off. Yeah, Andy Rooney, by the way, was uh, brought on as a humorous and uh, satirical look at the world at large, and then just kind of became an old guy complaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I feel, and now I feel for him, because I kind of went through, because I like the things, the way that people, some people reacted to my article was exactly how I used to react to his sixty minutes pieces, and I was like, no, Andy Rooney, I now understand. Oh no, he's died before I could tell him. Uh, and also, he was re- he was like super grumpy about a lot more important stuff. Anyway. Oh. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. What's up, dude? Well, yeah, I'm uh, very excited to introduce a new segment on the show called Letters Column. Yeah, it's, yeah, great fanfare. I loved it. Um, yeah, so we've we've started to get a lot more um, a lot more feedback from our listeners, which is great. We we love it. We'd asked for it. Uh, in the past, and I want to start incorporating it more into the show. So a couple of weeks ago in our chat episode, Brett and I were catching up about 2013, and I discussed my enjoyment of the film Dark Knight Rises. From 2012. From 2012, yeah. yeah. We're talking about two thir- 2013 year in review, and of course I uh, completely ignore it. Um, I, again, I really enjoyed the book. I thought there was a lot to like in it, or the book, yeah, the, the film. Uh, I found a lot to enjoy in it. I thought it was intense. Uh, it made me gasp. Uh, there was a lot more. Um, I don't know. I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan too. I guess I should say that, but, uh, I was curious because as the, when the film came out, I made a very concerted effort to avoid any and all media about it because I kept saying, Oh, I'll get to it. Uh, and I was also unemployed during the summer. So I was, uh, pinching, my pennies so hard that they were bleeding and uh, missed the film in the theaters. And then just, you know, uh, it fell off my radar in general. And then I got it for, for Christmas. So you guys had some thoughts about, uh, Our thoughts. about the movie. Yeah. And, uh, and again, thank you guys. Uh, we're going to uh, hit a couple of these real fast right here. So, um, uh, Mar- one of our one of our previous guests on this on the show, um, and columnist for uh, comics should be good. He does the weekly gimmick or good segment on there, and also has his own uh, website, Chasing Amazing. Mister uh, Mark Ginocchio uh, got in touch with us. Uh, he said that uh, also love that we were talking about Fifth Beetle, by the way, because he loved that book as well. Yeah, because um, it's. Uh, yeah, it is awesome. Guys, seriously, you should check that out. But anyways, he wanted to let us know his thoughts on Dark Knight Rises and why it didn't work for him. So, uh, as an excerpt, um, what he had said 
was that uh, he felt that basically the the film was really dark and nihilistic. You know, um, he uh, he felt that in Nolan's world, especially with the arguments in uh, Dark Knight and then Dark Knight Rises, Dark Knight was very much uh, an NSA privacy film, whereas uh, Dark Knight Rises was very much like an Occupy Wall Street 99 versus 1% film. And he felt that Nolan's world, in Nolan's world, basically everybody is wrong, which I guess is a valid point, agree or yeah. disagree, but is just too nihilistic a tone for Mark to care about, which I understand, which, uh, and in his words here, Mark, Mark writing here, which ties into my larger problem with the movie, is that I just thought outside of Catwoman, uh, the Catwoman scenes in the final 20 minutes, the whole thing lacked a certain amount of joy that engaged me. Dark Knight was dark, but between the mind-blowing effects and Heath Ledger chewing up the scenery, that movie was joyful. It's, yeah. Nolan right, it's Nolan's right to tell the story he wants to tell using a comic book character, but I felt like his first two Batman movies were able to balance the joy with the brooding. I I I think there's valid points. I agree uh, with all that. I mean, like, I like watching Dark Knight Rises was such a relentless experience. <laughs> it is <it's> very, <laughs> for that reason. It's very, very harrowing. Um, yeah, I, and I agree. It's a very it's a very bleak sort of worldview. Um, but in in looking at it as a three act structure. If you look at the three films as a three act structure, I I feel like I feel like they're I think it ends a lot more hopeful. Yeah, it does. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it does have a lot of hopeful endings, which kind of it's kind of like they packed all the hope into the last minute of vignettes. Yeah, and that's the thing. And maybe maybe <laughs> the hope maybe the hope came too quickly, too far to the end of the film, and I can understand that argument. For me, though watching it and watching you know the the rise and fall and rise of Bruce Wayne as a character across the three films i i liked it i liked seeing how bleak things could get because when you look at a character as iconic as batman and as powerful as batman not super powerful but yeah you know what i mean um He's a character that we look at and we say, like, oh, he's so smart. We can find a way to write him so that he can find his way out of anything, right? Yeah. So then how do you, in the third act, and again, going back to, like, beat structure, how do you raise the stakes so high that you can't, uh, like, how do you raise them so high to show everyone how great of a hero he is? And... We watched him lose one of his loves, right? Yeah. In the in the second film, and but it wasn't really his true love. Like his true love is Gotham City. Gotham City. Yeah, and <laughs> the same way. Uh, talking about Cheers again, the same way that that um, uh, Sammy's true love is the bar and not women. Yeah, um, and he's always going to come back to the bar. Bruce is always going to come back to Gotham. Yeah. And you have to threaten it and to threaten a city it has to be such a high level threat. You know? And it also is the type of thing that the, the other reason that I liked like I it, Mark also mentions that he didn't care for Bane because he felt Bane was more just a silly voice and uh and a mask. And I would actually disagree with that because Bane to me was uh 
a, a guerrilla warfare terrorist, and I've been sort of obsessed with these vice documentaries about these ah. um, military generals and warlords in uh, in Africa, and they're they're scary because these guys come in with shipments of malfunctioning weapons that they've stolen. And they just take over these towns and they just execute people. And it's just like there's no law. And all these – this happens in these third world countries that's so disconnected from us. And then Dark Knight Rises is what is what happens if one of those guys or one of those organizations becomes so organized that it happens here? Yeah. You know, and and I think that the whole 99% rallying cry was as close – we've ever come to telling that story in the united states yeah i i have i do have a lot to unpack with the film um in in that regard uh which is like a thing that me and my boyfriend talked about a bunch after we saw it uh yeah because like i don't even know like at what point of production they were in um because Occupy and the Egyptian uprising, like the Arab Spring, happened in like well in early 2011. So I feel like they had already written the script, maybe because the film came. Yeah, they'd already written the script and were probably shooting when all these kind of like real world examples of what they were doing happened. Yeah, <clears throat> and I watched the the Square, the Netflix original documentary about the Egypt uh, protests. <clears throat> and over you know overthrowing and whatnot and whatnot that was super uh dismissive sounding and i don't mean that um it was nominated for an oscar and it's a great documentary but like watching it it kind of in a way like i don't know uh Dar- i feel like dark knight rises didn't accurate like it was it had the opportunity to um tell a story that I think it didn't know it could tell because the real thing happened after it was already made or already shooting. Like in, in the square, real human beings overthrow the military and like for justice and for equality and for things Batman stands for that happened in Egypt. And it, in that documentary is so uh, emotionally like engrossing and uplifting and crushing because you're seeing real people do this. And in dark Knight rises, all the real people just go to their homes and lock their doors yeah, and don't fight back. Uh, and they wait for the police to help them fight back, which is another, you know, I, I'm not a person that thinks like all cops are inherently evil. Cause I think that is an incredibly narrow minded point of view. Sure. Uh, but there is still something like in the Occupy Wall Street story, a lot of the, the enemy of that story were like was the police and the way that the stories were told and the the things that came to light about like and especially in the square in Egypt like the military and the government was a hundred percent the story because they just killed people for peaceful protesting um, and so it is weird that like Dark Knight Rises could have presented a thing where Gotham City itself rose up and fought back against these terrorists yeah and didn't like didn't need Batman, but welcomed Batman back. Yeah. And that I think would have been a that in 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 retrospect, I don't think the movie knew that it could have done that maybe. Right. Because the real world happened and changed what they thought. Like what we thought could be true. Uh yeah, the politics of it are super weird. 
where we are shown where we're made to sympathize for the 1% because they keep showing like Bane's people going and terrorizing all these people at like expensive galas. Oh yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know guy. Like, well, I mean the main, they're people and I'm concerned about their safety, but it's also like, there's the the human thing of like, I barely have enough money to pay rent every month. Yeah. (laughs) And these people have billions of dollars and don't work. I don't know. Oh boy, this is politics. Well, the main conceit of Batman itself too is also, uh, we hope that a rich guy can show up and save the people who can't help themselves. Like a rich guy, um, doesn't care about being rich. He's like incidentally rich and is more concerned about equality and, you know, giving that money towards protecting and standing up for the little guy right. in a way. Like, Batman is, like, the big guy that stands up for the little guy. Right. The way that, hey, if all of our millionaires <laughs> cared as much about the slums of America, the 99% of us as Batman seemingly does, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know. So, like, I don't, that 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 is the one area of that movie that I think, when, when I hear criticism about it, I'm like, yeah, it does seem very politically ambiguous. Yeah. And, like, very politically curious. And, like, the police save the day. The normal middle class people just, like, hide. Yeah. We're made to sympathize for the super, super rich people. Um, it's, it's very, like, a confu- it's a very confusing and question. Like, I don't think it's dumbly done. Like, it makes you think a lot, which is a good thing. Durr, brain broke. <laughs> oh, know. man. You broke, you broke Brett's brain, Mark. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, thanks for writing in about that. Uh, and yeah, I can, I, again, I, I think we both can totally see, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of hope in there, but, uh, uh maybe, maybe it just came too little too late at the very end there. Um, but that didn't, for me, that didn't stop my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Um, Brent Thomas wrote to us on Facebook, uh, and had the opposite reaction, did not like Dark Knight Rises at all. Um, he gave us a few bullet points among them. Um, one, Bruce Wayne goes through the same character arc twice. He's battered and bitter, gets a kick in the butt, fast acting help to win yet again and wage his war on those menacing Gotham. This happens twice in the series. And it does. Um, I actually didn't have a problem with that. And the reason I didn't is, again, because, um, I don't know, uh, as a storyteller, and maybe this is me pushing my own interpretations on it, like, I... I liked the idea that Batman has fallen so far and like you have to push your characters off a cliff at the end of the second act. The end of the second act is supposed to be the end of the second act and partway through the third act is supposed to be in a hero's journey, like the most dire stakes where things just keep You keep raising the stakes and raising the stakes that they had to like literally push him into a hole because the second time when he comes back, he not necessarily half-asses it, but he thinks that he's going to have a handle on it in a way that he totally doesn't. And getting him... The first time Bruce Wayne comes back because he was lost and trying to find himself, right? The second time he does it, it's because he's feeling bad for himself. I think, and I think, it, and to me, those feel like two different sort of things. Like the first time, it was him trying to find his destiny, and the second time, it's him running away from his destiny after he already knows what it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, this it's also like I feel like um, 
there are two stock superhero plots for movies, and one is the origin story, and the other one is the you know renouncing of everything and then having to take it back because that happens. I mean, the Spider-Man No More plot. Yeah, like doesn't that happen in both Spider-Man One and Two? Like, doesn't he? Yeah. Decide to give it up in Spider-Man One and then come back and fight Green Guard. I, I remember that happening in. Or two and three. Was it two and three? I gotta go back and rewatch it. Yeah. I just know that it happens twice. Yeah. Like, two is the one that more, like, deals with it the most, but it happens again in another one of the movies. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, but I also, like, hey, if that, if you, I understand the critique of. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And and I get that. But again, too, like, I, all of these points that everyone's bringing up are things that I could totally understand. But I think what I'm doing is just kind of saying why, uh, for us, it didn't really, these things weren't things that stopped us from liking the movie, I guess. Uh, Another interesting point. uh, This might be the most boring version of Catwoman ever. Oh! Uh, Her motivation is to steal something that erases her past, a past never explained or brought into play. I thought. And I may have mis again. It may, this might have been me misreading the movie. I thought she was trying to get the uh, the past eraser because she got in with the League of Shadows. I thought she was trying to get this so that she could erase herself from the League of Shadows, so that because she knows how bad they are. Yeah, I didn't think that, but I, I, that makes sense. Like, I also think that um, a helpful tool for people to have when watching movies is to do things like that. <laughs> Yeah. is to like explain uh things because i i thought catwoman was the best part of that movie oh uh, yeah, yeah i thought she i thought in hathaway it might from my movie taking experience for my my experience watching that movie i thought she was the only person on screen having any fun and really in hathaway seemed to be enjoying that role true like no other and and I, I I liked I I liked her in that movie. Yeah. Um I don't think I mean no, it's not the it's not the best version of Catwoman. I think that Brubaker Brubaker's Catwoman um from the early two thousands comic book yeah. is the best version to me. Uh but it wasn't to me it wasn't a boring one. Yeah. I thought she was the best part of that movie. Yeah. Um yeah, I didn't I didn't think she was that boring. I, I really enjoyed Anne Hathaway in the film as well. Um I could say, I guess I could see that though too. I mean, she she did a lot of hemming and hawing, and you know, even when presented with valid arguments against her own point of view, just kind of she just had non reactions. Hmm. I think, and that's uh, that that definitely could be frustrating. Like I get that. Um, Robin, another point. Robin has constant suspicion that there's more to what happened with Harvey Dent, possibly even a conspiracy. When the madman holding the city hostage. Reads an unverified letter about a conspiracy involving Dent. Robin freaks out, shouts, and pouts. All this forgotten has no repercussions on the rest of the movie. Um, Yeah, I could get that. To me, though, there was a bigger problem, which was that there was a crazy guy holding a nuclear bomb in the middle of uh, (laughs) a packed uh, city. Uh, And I I just think that they... I think that it was kind of like finding out that you know, there's water gushing through the ceiling in your apartment and your roommate comes in and says, see, I told you I heard water for the longest time. Now we should discuss why I was right about it. And it's like, well, we can do that later, but we have to worry about this thing that's happening in the moment. And I think that, and to me, like that's, and and that's a super fair point. Like that's definitely something that was a big plot point earlier in the movie and then kind of gets dropped. 
But I it's kind of like was... why even why even bring it up if it's not going to be dealt with? Because like that, I could see the the complaint of like Dark Knight Rises is just like almost too big in scope. Like they're just yeah. trying to do too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much League of Shadows stuff. There's so much Occupy Wall Street stuff, and then to add in also bringing back plot points from the first two movies, and it's like, geez, guys. Yeah. But again, I liked it when I watched it. I yeah. Know. It's kind of like you can't. You have no. You really, I don't know. I don't have any control how I uh, re- respond to a movie. Well, see, and, and here's at the all. thing, too. Uh, if I like it, I like it, and I can't help that. Uh, I think that, and I think part of it, and, and I think this goes into, um, and actually, let me just read this next point, because I think I, I want to say something about both of these. Fourth point, I, ne- I did not think the fight scenes were impressive. It was muddy and not very exciting or creative. There was a lot of boring face punching. Now, the reason I want to tie these two together is I think that the more I think about Dark Knight Rises and especially about the idea of Occupy Wall Street and a villain who comes in and grabs onto your most immediate visceral emotion is it's a very of the moment situation. Whereas Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight was a lot more about uh, the sort of um, plotting and planning versus chaos, you know, yeah. and and security and how do you feel safe? In the face of chaos, I may be getting that wrong. It might be the coffee. Um, but <laughs> what, the fight scenes, these fight scenes, to me, I think I loved because they were just face punching. Like, this was a lot more visceral and raw yes, and of yeah. the moment. Uh, and they were terrifying to me because they were so real. Like, the part where, again, the part where Bruce is on the ground and like has a goddamn stroke cuz he gets punched in the head so many times. Yeah. Like that was horrifying to me. Yeah, and Much I think more, there's also yeah. there's also I mean um in a movie like comparing Dark Knight Rises to Avengers and a movie like Dark Knight Rises where it is almost it is as pointed out like relentlessly bleakly realistic in a way. I mean yeah. like it's striving for realism but of course it's not real. Um it's 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 realism is its like number one goal. Um, as opposed to Avengers, which is like a total superhero movie that I loved more than Dark Knight Rises, just to, I don't know, qualify. Um, when people get punched in the head in Avengers, I'm like, oh, they got punched in the head because the whole tone of the entire movie is a little bit more divorced from reality. Yeah. If all of a sudden people in Dark Knight Rises were doing karate flips and like crazy, like kick takedowns and whatnot, which Catwoman does a little bit of, but like. To see Batman doing that would have really been divorced from the reality and tone that they were really going for. And so what are you going to do? You're going to do face punches. Yeah. And then because of the super, super real tone that I perceived, when Batman keeps getting punched in the head, I take that to be a lot graver than if someone got punched in the head in Avengers. Yeah. Because, like, I watched a whole documentary about concussions in the NFL. So when I see Batman getting punched in the head in a realistic movie, I'm like, oh, shit, he's fucked for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and to to make a point about that and the fact that we sort of dropped the Harvey Dent plot, like a lot of, and especially a lot of the third act of the the movie is about reacting to the things that are happening in the moment, which is kind of an improv note. But like we are we're we're losing parts of the plot in favor of reacting to what's happening in front of us, and um. The ride that I was on as I was experiencing the film, I was okay with that. But again, too, it is kind of frustrating that uh, his whole drive gets abandoned. But it is rewarded in the end yeah. by the fact that he is most likely going to be the next Batman. 
Um, Nightwing. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, Brent, Brent did have uh, a great point about the face punching, which it turns out was Bane's secret weakness. Our master detective had to be sat down and told, try going for that thing on his face. Totally fair <laughs> point. It's like, yeah. yeah, the most obvious thing on him, and uh, yeah. and he, he didn't he didn't go for it. Uh, also, did bug me that he can punch. Uh, he his his super can punch through concrete. Leg brace never played a part in the film. See, now that to me, I don't think wasn't. I don't think that that was an example of a, a super strong thing. That to me, I think was a justification for a man who's clearly done. Because again, this is a more realistic portrayal. Yeah. As much as you can, uh, they're trying to show the real repercussions. Because he had a limp. He yeah, was yeah. limping with a cane. You're looking at a guy who has physical damage, brain damage before he's even doing this. So for us to believe that he can, like, even react in the moment to the regular fights that he's having, we have to see that he has a little bit of help. And I, and and also he was in the cave right during that, and you know you're looking at like like cave brick which has been also just calcifying for like the last eight years and is probably always moist because of those because of all the waters down there so i'm willing to give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there i don't think that this was something to look at as oh hey this is a weapon this is (laughs) more oh hey this is a crutch yeah yeah i see that uh last point death of batman felt thematically like a superman death flying a nuke over the ocean to save his city I could get that, but I still... It was an Iron Man death. It was an Iron Man death. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's exactly what they did in Avengers. They both came out in the same summer. Yeah, Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that. Yeah, it is sort of a Superman death, but you know what? I I liked it. In the moment, I liked it. I just did. I mean, it's a... Yeah, exactly. But it's it's also like it's a trope. Yeah. Like, every act. I mean, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol ends with them having to disarm a nuke. Like, disarming a nuke is just in, yeah. what, 90% of movies? Yeah, yeah, and when someone flies off into the sunset, in my head, I always hear a sort of, like, uh, Trey Parker from South Park singing something like, I'll never forget you, Batman! Thank you <laughs> yeah. for saving our lives! Uh, and that's just always, like, thank you for saving me, Iron Man! Yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I, uh, I can get any critique about that ending. That's fine. Yeah, and I think again, but I can't help it. I liked points. it when I watched it. Yeah, <laughs> those are all those are all valid points. But to me, those weren't things that stopped me from enjoying the film. Like yeah. I still really liked it, and I still really do. Um, we all got our different deal breakers. Yeah, yeah. I but I love. I again, like these are all really great points. I do love. Like, yeah, come on, you are like the world's greatest detective. And again, the most unusual thing about Bane is that he has a face. You know, why does he have that? The most Batman Bruce Wayne wrote that couple's quiz sketch. Bruce Uh, wrote that couple's quiz sketch. That's I don't don't understand. (laughs) No, he pooped on a poop. That's an unusual thing. That's the funniest thing. I love poop humor. Oh Oh, man. man. So Brent, thanks so much for uh, for writing in. Uh, It was. I'm sorry that we were sort of. I, am I sorry? I feel kind of bad that we're reacting. We're reacting. No, I think it's uh, not this immediate give and take. I think we're just we're so used to that uh, doing the show. But that was uh, that was really fun. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, as again, like both responses have all 100 percent valid points. Like I, that's 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 the uh, that's the thing where uh, people in niche communities, like comic communities, get tripped up is assuming that they're 
point of view is the right one or the default one. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I don't know. Bleh, pick your battles. Yeah. It, I mean, like, if, if there was, like, a horrible streak of Batman being a disgusting misogynist in Dark Knight Rises, I would have hated that movie, and I would have fighted you viciously oh, yeah. to, to, to uh, call it the worst movie ever, and I would feel totally justified in that. I don't know. It's like, does that, that same level of uh, righteousness and con- conviction, do you apply that to things like, Bane was kind of boring, you know? Yeah. Um, and, that, and not to say that anyone today did that. I just, I'm just saying, like, in general. Right. Uh, I don't know. Let's discuss things. Yeah, guys, and and I know we got we got into a bit of a looping conversation about comedy and comics earlier today. Thank you, thank you, Mark and Brent for writing to us. If any of you guys have any opinions on uh, comics and comedy, if you have any opinions about any of the books that we read, uh, hit us up on our Facebook wall, tweet at us, email us. We are uh, we are obsessed with comic books. Clearly, we do this show every week, and we love talking about them, and we love hearing what you guys think about stuff too. I, I, I like to think that we're not we're not confrontational, not because we're not confront we can be confrontational if we want to. We choose not to be because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't get anything done. We like hearing what you guys think about stuff too. And even if we disagree, I'm pretty sure you're a pretty cool person and we still want to have a beer with you. That's why that's why I like discussing things like this instead of arguing? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Argue cushions. Uh, um, yeah, hit us up. Next week on the show, we're going to be getting into uh, probably some more of this stuff. Uh, we're going to be reading some Tales Designed to Thrizzle. Yeah. Oh, man. One of my all-time favorite uh, comedy books. That When I first moved to New York City, then the first six months, um, I, was, I was reading Heidi McDonald's blog. And she randomly put a post up. She was like, oh, there's this guy named Michael Kupperman. He lives in New York and he's doing this book. It's I got a review copy and it's gut bustingly funny. You have to read it. And I went into Midtown that day and they had an autographed copy. And I was like, sure, why not? And I sat down and read it and just, oh, my God, I, I love this book. I cannot wait to dive into this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah get, get ready. ready for more of this talk. <laughs> uh if you're interested in purchasing Tales Designed to Thrizzle, you can go to mattandbrettlovecomics.com. Uh, you can buy some print copies through the Amazon links, or um, you can go to Comixology, which is also where those uh, issues are. Um, but if you purchase things through Amazon, it does kick a little bit of money back to us, which we always enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we we are part of the 99%, and we're trying to work our way up to that 1%, you guys. We're a couple billion dollars away. Oh, that's so, so gross, isn't it? Buy everything through Amazon. Um, while you're at mattbradlovecomics.com, you can check out some of our back issues like comedians John Frusciante and Will Hines talking about Love and Rockets number 21, or... When we had blogger Hallie Kiefer on talking about Peter David's Incredible Hulk. Oh run. man, that was so much fun. We gotta have Hallie back on the show. She's great. We gotta oh, get yeah, Mark back on the show. Talk about Spider Man later this spring. Yeah. Um. And again, I mentioned it before. We love hearing from you guys. Tell us what you think about this or any past episode on the website or our Facebook page, uh, Facebook.com/slash They Love Comics. That that is true. We're gonna start talking about your comments on our show more. So yeah. that's that's cool uh if you like um <laughs> you can find links to all of our social media presence under who love comics 
Under the Who Loves Comics tab on the website, reading is hard for me. It's okay. It's hard for everybody. Tweet at us. That's where we are. That's what makes us better than fish. Uh, guys, if you fancy what you've heard here today, um, rate and review the show on iTunes. Why not? Uh, it means a lot to us when you do. And it's yeah. if you don't want to engage with us, I totally get that. Uh, it's a passive way to tell us that you like the show. And we like to look. I'm an uh, Myers brings it up. I'm an ENFP, guys. I need I need valid. I need people to tell me I'm doing a good job. That's how I interact with the world. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's me too. That's me too. Um, most importantly, you're all our best spokespeople. So tell all of your friends about this show, about everything about us, our names, our last names, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, as always, thanks to our producer, Mr. Ben Rahib. Uh, you uh, help us keep this show going, and you truly are the Diane Dar Sam. I don't know if that ends well, though. No, no, he's it doesn't. Like, we he's, get all... he's the norm to our cliff. That's better. That's better. Or he's more like he's more like the Frasier to your norm and my cliff. Okay, that works. Uh, again, thanks so much for listening, you guys. We will be back next week when we'll be uh, talking Tales Designed to Thrizzle by Michael Kupperman. Um, yeah, hit us up on Facebook. Let us know what you think about this or any of our past episodes. Until then, this is Matt. And this is Brett. And we love comics. Oh wait, Matt, we have to dis- we have to disengage this nuclear bomb. What? Oh shit! Thank you, Matt and Brett.